One of the things which links the story of Christmas with the events of Holy Week and Easter is the Lamb. You remember at Christmas when the angels have announced to the shepherds the good news of the birth of Jesus, the shepherds hurry off to Bethlehem to see the infant Jesus along with Mary and Joseph. And in Holy Week at Easter time, on this day, the day of preparation, we think of the lambs that were being prepared, not just for the daily sacrifices in the temple, but also being prepared for the celebration of the Passover meal, of which we heard something last night. In the world of Jesus, forgiveness of sin was never simply a matter of saying sorry to God, because offending against such a holy and a majestic God is never simply a matter of apologising and going on our merry way. Rather, a sacrifice is required, and a sacrifice is the way that God forgives our sins and sets our guilt aside. On Good Friday, today, we remember the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus to take our sins away. In our Gospel yesterday, we were told that it was night. And at night, in the Jewish calendar, it becomes a new day, a new reckoning of time. And so from verse 31 of John chapter 13, right through to the end of chapter 17, it's as if time stops because we, we encounter Jesus teaching his disciples for the last time. And then we see them going out to Gethsemane and, and Jesus praying, earnestly praying to his father. And then suddenly at the start of chapter 18, the action resumes and Jesus rushes headlong into the hour for which he came. Throughout these scenes that we read in chapters 18 and 19, Jesus' steadfastness is contrasted with a number of other characters who flicker in and out of focus, often compelled by fear. Jesus, however, remains determined to fulfil his Father's will. And he shouts victoriously from the cross, It is finished! As the story unfolds, we hear Jesus' earlier words ringing in our ears when he says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This is the command I received from my father. And in these chapters 18 and 19 of John's Gospel, we watch our good shepherd in action. When the story resumes at the start of chapter 18, we find Jesus with his disciples in the Kidron Valley. It was the same valley to which King David in the Old Testament escaped when his son Absalom attempted a, a royal coup. Unlike David, Jesus knows his betrayer is coming. He had known Judas was a devil at least since John chapter 6. And rather than fighting, Jesus surrenders to the Jewish temple guards and a cohort of armed Roman soldiers. One of the things that amazes me about the story is that not only are the temple guard they are sent by the Jewish leaders, but we have this, this cohort of soldiers. And cohort means 600 men. And Jesus does not just surrender to them without first showing his full might when he responds to them saying, I am he, the men, all 600 plus the temple guards, fall 
immediately to the ground before Jesus. They recognize his godly authority. According to John's Gospel, Jesus surrenders not out of weakness, but out of obedience. Obedience to his heavenly Father and for the protection of his own disciples. In contrast, the high priest who is not present in Gethsemane is unable to protect his own servant, Malchus, who suffers a a deforming cut to the ear from one of the disciples, the disciple Peter. John 18 narrates the transition in location. The fact that a Roman cohort leads Jesus to Annas' house along with the soldiers of the Jews shows us that the Jewish elite were working hand in hand with the Romans they feared. And then the story goes on to tell us of Peter denying Jesus three times. After all, Peter's boldness in the garden, willing to attack in the presence of 600 plus soldiers. Peter is suddenly paralysed in a courtyard. And what Peter seems to fear is shame rather than death. He's willing to see Jesus die. He's even willing, he says, to die with him, but only in a way that he thought was noble. Through combat, that would have been instigated, but now arrested, Jesus will die shamefully without a fight. And it seems that Peter is not interested in that sort of king. Then the location of the story shifts again, this time to the the governor's headquarters, the praetorium near to the temple gate grounds. And in a very well-known part of the story, Pilate shuffles in and out of his own abode, looking in many ways more like a slave with a message than an all-powerful representative of Rome. And throughout this section of the story, the fear of those surrounding Jesus comes to a head. Ahead. In chapter 11, the high priest Caiaphas met with the Sanhedrin to discuss what to do about Jesus after his raising of Lazarus. And rather than jealousy, the, the, the meeting is really motivated by fear. They are afraid that Jesus will become so popular that he will mount an uprising against Rome. And Rome, of course, will then come and destroy everything and everyone, including the temple, in order to reassert Roman authority. And for a gospel that was probably written 20 years or so after the destruction of the temple, this fear is well warranted. Pilate, too, though, is a person of fear. Pilate's shuffling in and out of the story shows a willingness to appease the crowd before him. It's not in his best interest to rile up the Jewish people right before Passover. And in the end, both these parties, already complicit in Jesus' arrest, now join together in their fear, resulting in Jesus' unjust conviction. With his conviction complete, Jesus carries his own cross to the hill where he will be lifted up. Jesus lifting up for exaltation is double-sided. On the one hand, 
It's a very sorrowful moment of humiliating suffering and death, but viewed from God's and Jesus' perspective, it's an exaltation that brings life. As he hangs on the cross, Jesus does not cry out in anguish. Instead, he, he watches the soldiers below him unwittingly fulfill scripture by gambling for his clothes. He provides for his mother and for his disciple. And he actively fulfills scripture by asking for a drink. After his death, the soldiers repeat their ignorance, fulfilling scripture even as they mutilate Jesus' dead corpse. The turning of all to look at his pierced body reminds us of Jesus' first extended conversation with the man called Nicodemus. We meet Nicodemus right at the start of John's Gospel in chapter 3. And Jesus promised Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, it's necessary for the Son of Man to be lifted up in the same way, so that everyone who believes in him shall have eternal life. And suddenly, for a third time, Nicodemus appears in the Gospel story, this time working with Joseph of Arimathea to bury Jesus. Joseph's bold action to request Jesus' dead body from Pilate and Nicodemus is joining him with a large amount of costly materials may in fact indicate the fulfilment of Jesus' words. Having seen their pierced shepherd do Joseph and Nicodemus now begin to live. Even though this section of the Gospel ends with a burial, already it is hinting at the hope of resurrection. And now let's pray. Father in heaven, as this Good Friday ends, as sleep beckons, we give you thanks for today. We thank you for safety, for the measure of health that we enjoy, for those who love and pray for us, for those who stand ready to help us when we need help most. We thank you for everyone who is working so that we may have our daily bread, all those things we need to allow our daily living. We pray for those who are most affected by the safety measures we are asked to observe for the sake of ourselves and others. We pray for deliverance from the infection that's upon us and we thank you for the NHS and for all who work in it and for it. Bless tonight those who are being admitted to hospital. Give them your peace and may they know your love. Give faith in Christ Jesus to those who pass away this night and turn our hearts towards you, our loving God and Father. For we pray these things in the name above all names, Jesus the Christ. Amen.
It calls.